welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Micah, if we haven't met. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Awaken. Uh, if you want a Bible, by the way, there are some in the back. We're gonna, you're going to need one. Um, if you have your Bibles or uh, you've got them on your phones, if you want to turn to the book of Ezra, uh, and as you do, um, you know, I was sitting there during that last song thinking to myself, I've been a Christian, I don't know, well, technically since I was five years old. I remember being at Pam Gall's house uh, at her vacation Bible school where I went in the back, into the laundry room just after singing I Will Never Fly or The Enemy Shoot the Artillery, that whole bit. <laughs> And, you know, praying the prayer to receive Jesus. But you know, when I was in high school, really made a decision. And I sat there thinking to myself, I'm 36 now. I've been doing ministry for 13 years. And uh, there's a lot that God needs to do in my heart and in me. And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude that God's not done with me yet. Um, that's not the sermon for today, though. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time on this, so let's get to it. Um, so we're in Ezra, and uh, we're in this series called Eat This Book, and for those of you that might be new and joining us, uh, we'll just sort of catch you up, and this is more of a, well, it's part- partially an activity for us, because I hopefully at the end of this, you'll be able to kind of walk through the story of the scriptures. So these are just the big events. We've been walking in this probably about three months now, um, so uh, uh, those of you that remember or can, you know, point things out, go ahead and shout out. We'll just start at the beginning. of We started where? Genesis, with the story of creation. And uh, move quickly to Genesis 4 or 3, where Adam and Eve are deceived. Is it E-I-V-E-D? Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All you, that one's tricky. I before E, except after C, unless it says A as a neighbor and way. Unless there's a couple of other ones that it doesn't, doesn't actually fit. But, so creation, and then Adam and Eve are deceived. And then we have this major, uh, sort of just grace, the first instance, well, not the first, but a major episode of grace in Genesis 12, which is the story of... Abraham and the beginning of the nation of Israel. Israel, then we find them in the book of Exodus in Egypt, very good, and they're in exile, and uh, exile. And Moses comes and frees them and leads them out of Egypt into the land where they, they ask God for kings. And we have the first kingdom of Israel and then the divided kingdom of Israel, at which point we get introduced to a group of people who we've been studying the last couple weeks who have these messages for Israel. These are called the prophets very well that's uh i'm i'm a prophet micah is one of the prophetic books <sighs> just saying i got my own book got my own book just saying uh luke if you want to turn the gain down a little bit on this mic it, i think it'll stop clipping there um so you have the prophets and then um did i skip one prophets kings prophets Judges, right. Uh, okay, well, I, I missed one in there, but we'll, so we'll go there. And then, of course, <laughs> the, prophets, the prophets tell Israel, like, you gotta, you got to figure this out or you're headed towards exile, which is where we are today. And the nation of Israel finds themselves in exile again. Remember, this is where they came from in Egypt. They've come out and into the land, and now they find themselves in exile again. So, um... The, uh, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is where we're going to be in the next couple weeks. And I want to just kind of frame this for you before we jump in today. I want to frame it just on the, in, on the historical timeline so you kind of know what we're dealing with. And this all happens within about 150 years, what I'm about to kind of run through real quickly. Uh, in, in the late 600s, about 608, Babylon enters Israel or Judah, the southern kingdom. So remember, there's two kingdoms. Uh, Israel is in the north, Judah is in the south. And in the late 600s, Babylon comes in and basically 
basically starts to take over Israel. And Jeremiah chapter 5, he predicts this, that a, a nation will come and sort of uh, take the city captive, and uh, that's exactly what happens. Uh, this is when, early on, Daniel, if you remember the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, he gets deported quite quickly in about 605. And a big, huge um, sort of... Uh, event on the timeline of Israel's history is 586 when Babylon comes in and actually destroys the city of Jerusalem and the rest of Judah, the rest of this, uh, this su- the southern tribes are taken into captivity. And then there's kind of an, an interesting historical deal where Babylon are, is sort of the, the empire, the regime that's taken the Israelites captives, but then they're attacked by a group that Linda actually mentioned last week, the Medes and the Persians. There's a couple of different kings in here and a lot of things happen. One being when the Medes and the Persians defeat Babylon, there's this guy named Cyrus. Cyrus, he's kind of a, he's a bleeding heart uh, in, some, in some senses because he decrees right away that any of the Israelites who want to, who are in captivity, who want to go back down to their homes, they can. And so in the book of Ezra and in the book of Nehemiah, we get these two very long lists, very comprehensive lists of exactly who went back. And it's f- over 42,000 Israelites leave Babylon or leave where they were captive and come back to Israel to begin the uh, rebuilding the temple. So the temple, of course, is in Jerusalem. It's the center of worship in the Israelite community, and it's destroyed when Babylon comes in. So when the Israelites go back, it's the first thing that they begin rebuilding. A number of things happen, and a couple of different kings change in the Medes and Persian Empire, and they stop the building of the temple, and then they start it back up again with a guy named... Um, Darius, who's the king when Daniel, throughout the book of Daniel, if you remember Daniel in the, in the lion's den in Shadrach, this is Darius. And so he says, okay, you can start the temple construction again. And late in uh, the 500s, the temple's finally completed in 516. After which, and this is why I tell you all this, Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra comes back to Jerusalem in 458, and then Nehemiah comes back in 445. Now, the two um, major events in Ezra and Nehemiah, the book of Ezra is all about the rebuilding of the temple. And the book of Nehemiah is all about the rebuilding of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. They're actually very similar in, in style or in the events that happen in them. In one, it's the temple. and one, it's the wall. But in both cases, in both books, there's opposition. At the beginning, there's opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. And some people write back to the king. And they're like, listen, if you let the Israelites rebuild the temple, they're not going to pay any taxes. or they're not gonna, There's going to be no reason for them to be dependent upon you as, a, as an empire. So they stop the building of the temple. And then they start it up again. Same thing in Nehemiah. There's opposition to the rebuilding of the wall because if you're, if you're an empire that sort of sent a group of people back to where they live, if they begin to gain power uh, and sort of become a nation again, then they may revolt. So there's this opposition back and forth uh, throughout the whole thing. Interestingly, the book in our Bibles, we have Ezra and we have Nehemiah, two different books. Throughout church history, these two books have not been separated. In fact, up till uh, a guy named Origen in the early church, about 200, the book was one book. It was, it was all one book until Origen where he sort of separated them for the first time and called it First Ezra and Second Ezra. And actually up until like the 1400s, it was First Ezra and Second Ezra. And then after that, it became Ezra and Nehemiah. So just a little bit of background on the, on the two books. Uh, the guy, the, the person who wrote Chronicles is most likely the person who wrote Ezra and Nehemiah. We won't get into all the literary debate on that because it uh, really, doesn't really do anything for us. So that's just a little bit of background on the two books we're going to be studying these next couple of weeks. Now, if you would... I'd like you to imagine with me, 
<clears throat> so whatever you need to do to imagine, if you want to close your eyes and kind of imagine, imagine with me that the people of Wisconsin have revolted and they have taken up arms against Minnesotans. <laughs> they have crossed the St. Croix River. Uh, they have began sacking our cities, killing our neighbors and our friends. The, 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 Wisconsin, the Wisconsinites, the Badgers, they are much more powerful and more advanced than we are. And they've made it all the way to the capital city of St. Paul where they have sacked the city and they have now, they begin deporting Minnesotans back to the liberal bastion of Madison. <laughs> that is also known as Madison. And they have forced us to work in cheese factories. <laughs> now, of course, after decades and generations of, of our people, there's a shift in power in the capital city of Madison. And there's this bleeding heart who's on the throne there and he decides... It's cruel to keep the rugged and progressive Minnesotans locked up in these cheese factories looking for cheese curds. And so on one warm spring day, the crocuses are blooming, and word gets out that this particular person in power in Madison has made the edict or the, decl the declaration that you can go home. You can go back to your homes. You can leave where you are in captivity and you can go back home. You can return to your homes, rebuild your cities. You can eat your favorite meals and celebrate Santa Lucia as you see fit. <laughs> now, of course, this is, this is a joke. Uh, this is you know, uh, an imaginary activity. But listen, this is actually what happens to the Israelite people. Less about Wisconsin and, and the Badgers. Did they beat us, by the way? Did they beat the Gophers the other night at the border battle? Go for hockey? We, did, we won? There we go. How you like that? <laughs> um, I think we're ranked second in the nation, by the way. It's going to be a good year, hopefully. But this is true. Like, for the Israelites, you have, I, I want to encourage you, I want to I challenge you to try to put yourself back in, this, in their place, right? They're, they're God's people. They're living in the city. They're in the land, like the center of worship where God's presence is, is in the temple. And a foreign group of people come into their neighborhoods and they begin destroying it they begin killing people and then they deport you they take you from your homes and send you to some foreign land where you are slaves you're exiles this is what happens to the israelites and then there's a there, and then there's a day where somebody says because of the king because of some change in power you you get to go home you get to go back to the place that you call home and this is a story that's, what, 2,000 years old, but I want to suggest that, it, that this, is, this is real for a lot of people who, in our world, in our day and age. As I was reading and studying for this, I, I started looking at stories of refugees, people who have had foreign countries or neighboring regimes and dictators invade their land and kill their friends and their family members, and at worst, exile them. They become refugees and they have to leave their homes, or, or at best, at worst, they enslave them. And as I was reading through this story of Ezra this week, I've read, I've read through it a number of different times, and I just kept imagining what would it be like to hear, you get to go home. Like all of the things that would have gone into, the, like the heartbreak of losing family and friends, but then being transported away from the things that you love and hold dear. And then to hear, you get to go home. And I just kept, uh, for whatever reason, that's what had a pulse for me this week. And so I want to explore this idea of home uh, this week. So I want to read from Ezra chapter 1 and then a, a portion from Ezra chapter 6. And this is what Ezra says. 
or the book of Ezra says, In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up may go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and, their, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and the goods and livestock and the freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Skip over to chapter 6, verse 19. Remember what's dear to the Israelite people. The, like the pinnacle of their story is the Exodus. On the 14th day of the first month, the exiles, the exiles celebrated the Passover. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their relatives, the priests, and for themselves. And so the Israelites, who had returned from the exile, ate it together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work, in, in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Pray with me if you would. God, as we look into this story and uh, these stories of the, these people, Would you uh, speak clearly to us a word that we need to hear? Would you uh, be present in this place in a way that uh, we can see you and hear you and sense you? God, I pray that as we explore this idea of home, that we would at once uh, understand and be drawn into this idea of home and what it means to be home. And at the same time, God, this tension that we feel between something that we know to be true and yet something that we maybe don't always experience. So God, I pray that you would speak today. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, Stephen, can you, I don't know if there's any more on the house lights, but can you bring those up just a hair? That's all, okay. I I just can't see very well. Um, So home, it's such an interesting concept. It's so simple on the one hand, right? It's the place where you grew up. It's the place that you... Your address, 1290 Charles, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55104. It's the school you went to, the elementary school. It's the people that live in your house. And yet, there's this other thing happening. There's this kind of spiritual sense of this place that you can or might call home. And sometimes they don't always connect, right? The, what you call home or the place where you grew up, the place that you lived, and this other thing, that, this sense that we get, sometimes they don't always uh, line up. And actually, I, I looked up... Uh, um, I looked up some things on the interwebs this week, and I, f- I found some different people who said, like, what is home? And then I was sitting, you know, looking at my notes last night, and Laura said, you should just pose a, pose a question. So those of you who answered, you don't know this, but you're in my sermon today. Thanks for providing some things. But here are a couple of things that I found. A warm bed that you can't get out of in the morning, a tiny pink toothbrush in the bathroom, the sound of my husband's key in the door at the end of the day. I would add four pink toothbrushes in the bathroom. Uh... Anywhere my kids are, one lady says. Uh, One person in New Hampshire says, a sensation of peace on a cozy, rainy Sunday, the feeling of relief when you pull into the driveway after a long trip, 
a quiet kiss on the head of a baby asleep in my lap. All things that we call home. Some people in our community said, anywhere I can throw my feet up on the couch in comfy, scruffy clothes, crash, chill, and just be. Um, what home should be the safest possible place where, the most vulner- where you can be the most vulnerable and the most real. Support, comfort, community. A uh, place where I know and I feel love. Where my heart is at peace and I feel comfortable in my own skin. I'm curious, if I asked you the question, or maybe you saw it on the Facebooks, Uh, If you had to describe home in one sentence or a couple of words, what are some of the things that come to mind, just out of curiosity? Feel free to shout them out. Warmth, family. family. What else? Love. Love. Belonging. Anchor. anchor. An anchor. Somebody else said something here. Safety. Comfort. Comfort. Being known. Yeah. Do you notice a a pattern? Like none of these things describe a place. They describe something that happens. Uh, I want to work with that tension a little bit here as we we go on. So this week as I've been reading Ezra, this idea of what what would it have been like for those people to hear like, hey, you get to go home today. So I want to explore this idea and I'll let you know this this is not an exegetical, you know, working in Ezra. This is me kind of reading the text this week and just following what had a pulse uh, in my own sort of reflection on the text. So just a couple of thoughts on what is home. And, and again, um, there's a lot of different things that could be said about this, but I want to offer a few that I think are really central to this idea of home. I would start this way. Maybe you could say it this way. Home is a place where you belong. Um, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, it says this, and I, this is God speaking, and I will walk among my people... I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. This is a crazy idea that God would be among the people, that God would connect God's self to a group of people to begin with, but then to actually walk among them, to be with them. God says in Leviticus, I will walk among you and you will be my people. I will be your God. In Exodus 6, he says, I will claim you as my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 32 say the same thing. I will be your God and you will be my people. From the beginning, from the beginning of this idea of God's people, which then becomes the church of which this is, right? From the beginning of God's people and the idea of God's people, this idea that we belong to something is central to the idea. Um, I remember uh, when I was, uh, well, this last week, at, uh, w- we have a number of meals at our home, and I can't remember, we were trying to remember if this was at breakfast or if it was at dinner. Either way, be that as it may, we're all gathered around, my wife, my three girls, and we're talking about, we're, somehow we got on the, co- the topic of consequences. And, and, it, and it went to, and one of the kids said, yeah, and that's when you get kicked out of the family. <laughs> it was like, and my Laura says, honey, you, you can't get kicked out of the family. And then, you know, it kind of went on a little bit. And then Linda's like, yeah, that's when you get kicked out of the family. <laughs> and, it was, and it was like, you know, we, Laura and I kind of looked at each other like, okay, teachable moment here. Like, stop everything. You cannot get kicked out of this family. Like, for better or for worse, you're stuck. And there is no way in which, there is nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing, no choice that you can make that will, that, that will get you kicked out of this family. And the implicit message here is, you belong. Regardless of what you say, do, choices that you might make, like you belong here. This is where you belong. Many, I, I, when we gather on Sunday mornings, 
I'm, I'm, I'm reminded again and again, and I've, I've mentioned this before, that there's just so many stories that are present when we gather. For many of you, uh, the place that you grew up, right, your address, that also is a place that you look back on and you can call home. It's a place where you were loved. It's a place where there was unconditional care. There's a, it's a place where you were loved for who you are, not what you did. And I recognize that that's the case for many of us. And it's a beautiful thing that where, where the location, the, phys- the physical geographic address, school, house, the place where your parents lived, is a place that you look back on and you can say, that was home because I belonged there. But I also recognize that that's not the case for everybody. That many of us did not have that experience, either growing up as a kid or now as an adult, because of poor choices that were made or are being made, your home where you lived, grew up, the address is not a place that you call home. Even worse, some of you have been asked to leave the places that you call home. You were told this isn't your home. And I just want to remind us that from the beginning of this story, as, as I kind of reflected on Ezra, from the beginning, the idea of God's people was always meant to be a place where you belonged. From the beginning, the alien, the stranger, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the outsider, those with no homes, were given the opportunity to belong to this community. Now, we get versions of that where it did not go well and it wasn't lived into and, so, and, the, and Israel is judged for that. But in its essence, God's people, this idea of God gathering this group of people was meant to be a place where regardless of your race, gender, class, things you did, whatever, that you belonged. So it was true of the people of God in Israel. I would argue it was true of Jesus, that he had this inclusive way of saying to people, you belong. And I guess I would put it forth as a challenge for us as we think about Awaken, that this might be a community where people belong. Regardless of choices that you've made, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the story that you have, that when you come to this place, it's, I, and I pray this often, God, that this would be a place where people who don't feel like they have a home would, would feel at home. That all of us, in our ugliness and in our brokenness, be, and, and here's why. Because the spirit of the living God is present in God's people, and when that's true, you belong here. If you're human, if you have a pulse and you have breath in your lungs that you would, you would belong here. So home is where you belong. I would say, secondly, home is, is absolutely and always rooted in relationship. There's this sense in which the home that you come from, the you know, geographic address, that thing, it's, it's home, but then there's this other sense, maybe a bit more profound, that often what you call home isn't necessarily connected to that. And I would say, if you think about it long enough, you, you would begin to find that it's always rooted in relationship. Uh, when I was, uh, so I grew up in Minnesota, I grew up in the Midway, right over here in Frogtown, 1290 Charles, and that was my home, right, uh, and I had great memories growing up, uh, in fact, only until later on in my teenage years did I have any, like, bad memories of home, um, but I left for college, I went to Colorado, and I left for school, and so it was that kind of, you know, um, major moment and event in life where you pack up all of your things, you know, how many, okay, True confessions here. Those, any athletes in the room, did anybody bring their trophies with them to college from like Little League? Am I the only one? Yeah, okay. I thought, I thought I might be. I packed up my trophies. I packed up, you know, 
the, you know, I had a collection of hats for whatever reason. My oldest brother had a lot of hats. My hockey coach had a lot of hats. So I thought everybody who's cool has a lot of hats. So I had like 35 hats. I'm not even joking you. Packed up all these things, put them in boxes, my trophies, you know, all the dorky things that I had. And, and uh, my, bo- my oldest brother, Matt, actually drove me to Colorado. So we put all this stuff in his Mazda 323. Had no dash lights in the car. He had a little flashlight on his steering wheel. No dash lights. So we drive across Nebraska into Colorado. We get there. We, we find the school. Uh, check it out. We go to lunch at the Olive Garden. Because <laughs> it was the only place we could find. I'd never been there before. Never seen the school. Just showed up on the day it was supposed to. Um, my grandpa, Chaz, sent a few bucks for us to have lunch. And when we got there, thanks, grandpa, appreciate that. So we ate the Olive Garden, drove back to campus, and my brother, we unloaded my boxes, my trophies, my hats, all of my stuff. And he said, well, good luck, Opie. <coughs> uh, that was my nickname in high school, uh, Richie Cunningham, Opie Taylor. You might get that. Um, so he says, good luck, and he starts the car and he drives away. And there I am. Like, I know nobody. I'm standing on this campus. And I remember for the first couple of months of college, uh, often I would just cry myself to sleep uh, because I missed so very much the relationships and the people that uh, were connected to this sense of home that I had. Now, here's the interesting thing. and I don't know if anybody's ever had this experience. I came back for Christmas the first year. And, uh, you know, I'm super excited, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been, you know, crying myself to sleep. I'm so excited to come home. And I get home, and I remember being so, like, discouraged and even angry. And I thought to myself, you all just kept going without me. <laughs> right? I mean, has anybody ever thought this? You know, like, life went on without me, and people just kept moving, and relationships just moved on, you know, like, out of sight, out of mind. And I remember being really, it was this dissonant, I couldn't quite, like, what's happening here? And I couldn't put my finger on it. But each time that I came back to Minnesota, I remember feeling that Minnesota was increasingly less and less like home to me. Because the, the, the expanding network of relationships that were meaningful to me were connected to a new, different place in Colorado. And each time that I came back to Minnesota, I kept thinking that this was less and less home to me and Colorado and this group of people that I was doing life with and living with and creating memories with felt like home. Home is rooted in relationships. It always is. It's a place where you belong. And remember, when Israel, when they left, when they left Egypt, they were going to a place that w- they had no relationships. They, no, none of these people really had, arguably had been there or, or had homes there. And yet this was a place that they, as, we refl- as the story is written and they reflect back on their experience coming into the land, it was a place that they called home because they were in the presence of the living God, rooted in relationships. I would say maybe as I kind of wrap this up, if, if my reflections on home, a place where we belong, a place that's connected to relationships, but it's a place where there's a sense of rest. Some of you mentioned this even in some of our discussion this morning. It's a place of rest. There's a very real sense in which those who are in Christ experience and, or do experience rest, and yet there's something not complete about that. There's this tension, I'm sure, that many of us feel. Augustine uh, who, who once said, uh, our restless hearts will not rest until they find their rest in thee. 
to which I would say I agree with. Love Augustine. God bless him. Our hearts, our restless hearts, are not, will not find rest until they find rest in thee. There's this idea in Psalms in the Old Testament, in Psalms in the book of Deuteronomy, of rest. And it's this idea that's developed throughout the text uh, that when the people of God would enter the land, they will enter God's rest. And interestingly, it's picked up again in the New Testament by the writer of Hebrews, where this whole chapter, Hebrews chapter four, he, he works with this idea of rest. But let's talk about it from the Old Testament perspective. That when the people of God would enter the land, they would enter God's rest. I want to suggest that to be in the land, in the presence of the living God, is to be in God's rest or to experience rest. So when we hear this or when we get this word or this concept of rest in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, later in Psalms, that the idea is you could wrap it up by saying to be in the land, in the presence of the living God, is to be in God's rest or to experience rest. On this side of resurrection, as Hebrews picks it up, I think we could probably, I want to suggest that, that to be in God's rest is not connected to a physical location anymore, but rather the dome under which God's rule and reign is recognized. Jesus calls this the kingdom of God. So if in the Old Testament rest or to enter God's rest is to be in the land, this physical space where the presence of the living God is connected to the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, then on the other side of resurrection, the, he- the writer of Hebrews develops this idea that if the spirit of God is in you, then it's less about a physical location, but it's where the spirit of the living God is. We experience rest. And yet, I'm wondering if so much like the people of Israel and in Ezra, they come back from Babylon, right? They come back from Babylon and they're in the land, they're they're rebuilding the temple where the presence of the living God is and there's this experience of rest, so to speak. And yet there's this tension Because somebody else is still in control. Somebody else is still on the throne. Babylon or later, the Medes and the Persians. There's this tension between we're here where we should be home and yet somebody else is on the throne. And I think we could probably submit that our experience might be similar to that as people who follow Jesus. Uh, There's a song called Not Home Yet by one of my... Early, early favorite Christian artist was a guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Any SC Squared fans in the house? Yeah, come on now. This is the great adventure. Do you remember the video for that? Oh, man, it's just classic early 90s. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. But there's this sense in which we're not home yet, right? The scriptures talk about the fact that it's possible. The, the writer of Hebrews says, For those who are in Christ, there is a possibility for us to experience rest, as he's relating to it in the Old Testament, right? That we can experience the presence of the living God and be at rest in that sense. And yet there's this tension between the fact that the things that we experience day in and day out, the place that we live, this world might not exactly feel like home. Paul talks about this uh, in Ephesians. He says, and Linda spoke of this last week, our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In John 12 and 14, the gospel writer talks about the prince of the power of the air in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world, right? Um, This idea of Satan, the adversary, evil, is still present in our world. And so, 
home, this idea, sometimes a place, but sometimes not, a place where you belong, a place that's rooted in relationship, that's connected to relationship, a place where we experience rest. I want to close by saying this. The bold claim of this story, of the scriptures, the bold claim of this book and the teachings of Jesus is that as humans, we experience and our true home as humans exists when we are reconciled to God. And I would go further to say that we experience this sense of home, belonging, relationship, not only when we're reconciled to God, but to one another and in the world that we live in. We experience exile when these relationships are broken. And, and, and our experience of exile is you know, varying degrees, but we all experience exile and brokenness, and it stems from primarily this disconnection that we have with our Creator. This is the claim of the scriptures, that we experience home when we're reconciled to God. And so as we kind of begin this season of Lent, uh, for many of you, you've, you've uh, celebrated Lent your whole lives. Uh, for some, like myself, I didn't grow up in a very liturgical tradition. Lent was a very foreign idea to me, but last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. These 40 days between e- Ash Wednesday and Easter, when we purposefully connect ourselves to and make ourselves aware of the ways in which we're broken and the ways in which we wander and the places in which our hearts take us that alienate us from this idea of home, of belonging and of relationship and of our sense of, uh, what was number three? Sorry, rest. The places, the, the ways in which we alienate ourselves from those things. And so one author says the Lenten season often gets re- reduced to this question. What are you giving up for Lent? She says, well, this is a fine question, but it can only take us so far. The real question of the Lenten season is, how will I repent and return to God with all of my heart? Joel chapter 2 says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. For Israel, they got to return home. One day, somebody came to them and said, you get to go home today. And I guess uh, I want to ask Ben and the band, they're going to come and uh, in just a moment they're going to play a song that I'd love for you to listen to and reflect on. But in the, in the, in the space between there, uh, I'd love for you to just take a moment of silence and reflect on this idea of home. For some of you, it's been a, a word and a concept that brings um, great comfort and a great deal of uh, nostalgic, good feelings. For some, that's not the case. And I guess I'm just opening up a conversation and opening up to whatever the Spirit of God's doing um, in you. And so I just want to encourage you to listen to that, to pay attention to that. What about this idea of home, this sense of home is speaking to you? Maybe you don't feel like you are home. Maybe you don't feel like you have a home. Uh, I would say home is a place where people know your name, not to quote cheers, but where your story is known and your name is known. Uh, my hope and prayer that this community is a place that, 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 that that's true about this place increasingly. So I just want to invite you to a time of um, pondering that. Let me offer a word of prayer and then just a, mo- a few moments to think and then Ben will play this song. I'd love for you to listen and then we'll close with one song together. So pray with me. God, as we consider what it would have been like to hear you get to go home after being in exile after being captives, after being 
um, slaves, this sense of you get to go home. I pray that as we think and ponder and consider this idea of rest and of belonging, God, that you would be uh, present to us in very real ways. And Holy Spirit, would you speak? Give us ears to hear. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.